Hi, this is Dungeon Master Mitch. And this is Dungeon Master Ian. We wanted to take a quick second and tell you a little bit about our Patreon page. We have been working hard to bring you some awesome content with our Block Party Podcast Network shows. And we couldn't do it without your support over at Patreon. We have made a lot of changes over at our Patreon page, trying to bring you the best rewards and set the best stretch goals that we can. If you want to check out more, head on over to Patreon and search Block Party Podcast Network. Thank you so much for just listening to our shows and supporting us in that way we wouldn't be where we are today without you and now enjoy the show welcome back to the dungeon masters block the place where we focus on the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing god killing characters and lowering the ego of all the people at the table I'm DM Neil, a.k.a. Chope Maniac. And I'm DM Mitch. I'm DM Andrew. And I am DM Ian. Today, we are going to be concluding our top tens, many much of them, and we are going to be going through our three, two, and one. Hopefully, they are the best. If they are not, you'll probably tell us. Before that, though, we are going to read a five-star review from iTunes. This five-star review is from... Tigranosaurus, also one of our Aussie listeners, and he says this, or she, fantastic podcast, well-structured, great content, great hosts. It is also absolutely chock full of awesome ideas to explore in your own campaigns. At a personal level, I've been DMing since 1985, and I've found it a rewarding but a solitary pursuit. When I listen to this podcast, I feel like I'm part of a community. Like I'm hanging out with some mates in our special DMs only clubhouse. It feels great. Thanks, guys. Gives DM salute. Recommended. Thanks to Granosaurus for your five star review. We really appreciate it. And uh, you've been DMing longer than I've been alive, so good on that. And you are totally part of our community. You are. And welcome to the clubhouse. Yeah. Welcome to the block party. Hey, <laughs> And with that, let's head to the beat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. All right. And we are back to the meat with, like I said, part three of creation and inspiration, number seven. And for this one, we're going to have three, two, and one. And to kick us off, Andrew, what is your number three? Okay, my number three is called Who Angered the Wizard? And it is a campaign that takes a very simple concept of the wizard and his apprentice and it adds some spice to it. So you have the players are apprentices to the wizard. The wizard is training them. They're very low level, like level one or something, or even commoner class with maybe a few spells. And someone did something that angered the wizard and now he has cursed all of them and given them like a near impossible task. So for them to be able to regain their apprenticeship, they have to do this impossible task while being cursed. It can be played very comedic because, you know, maybe one of the characters has been turned into like a weasel. Another <laughs> yes. character's like left leg is made out of stone. You know, one character's like just shrieks like a parrot randomly. <laughs> and they have to go on this quest in order to regain their apprenticehood. So that, I think that would be a lot of fun to play. I love the idea that this is the backstory of the guy from Monty Python who goes, she turned me into a newt. 
I got better. <laughs> I'd want to create a random table of what the players are each yes. with. Yes, absolutely. And I would show them. I would show them the whole table and be like, here's what you got. Nothing good. All right. Grab your <laughs> dice. Just so long as you're aware, going into this, you are not going to turn into a dragon. <laughs> I would make them roll three times on the table. <laughs> oh, Come out as like some weird I'm a hybrid jerk. creature. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. Just imagining poor players. It's just like really doesn't like role playing in the first place, and now they got to <laughs> they got to like randomly squawk like a parrot. Just <laughs> <laughs> like hey. You better do it or else I'm going to take your inspiration away. <laughs> oh, no, no. Failure to role play just incurs more curses yes. from the wizard. Oh. <laughs> yes. But don't even bring it up. But, be, but essentially at the end of a session, be like, hey, uh, here's the deal. So you didn't squawk like a parrot. So you're going to need to roll on the table again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is just setting it up for a mean DM out there <laughs> to have a great time. I was going to say, before it gets too much worse, Ian, what is your number three? Yeah, my number three is a campaign that I planned out but never got to play through because the, the crew that I was with uh, disbanded, uh, mostly because I moved from California to Michigan. But in essence, it, 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 it revolves around these creatures that I made called the Zinge. And the Zinge are beings that live in the extra-dimensional space in which we dream. And so they're, they, they sort of weave and shape and craft our dreams as we're asleep. And essentially, some of them either they got corrupted by a uh, I don't always I, I default to the mage did it, but the mage did do it, mm-hmm. uh, got corrupted. And now they they weave the stuff of nightmares. But unlike nightmares that you would normally dream, the mage has given them the power to manifest these nightmares in the real world. And slowly but surely, the things that you dream actually come into the real world and afflict you while you're waking only waking up doesn't get you away from these creatures. So as the DM, you get to like delve into my, my plan was to figure out what each player's worst nightmare was and make a creature based around that worst nightmare and have them attack the party. Uh, And essentially the world is becoming one large nightmare. Uh, It's not just the party's worst nightmares that are coming to fruition. It's everything else. uh, Everyone else's as well. And so the world is slowly being taken over by a living nightmare. And so now people are afraid to go to sleep. Lest what they dream become reality. I need the the (laughs) worst nightmares of each and every one of my players. All right, guys. It's character creation night. Uh, I'm going to need all of you guys to write down the personal cell number of your therapists and slide them across the table. All right. See you next week. <laughs> oh, that would be awful. Uh, I wasn't even like thinking just like their personal nightmares. I was thinking more like their characters. Were I know. Yeah, like, underneath this sheet is a snake. Underneath <laughs> next week's is a spider. Well, see, I was more like thinking like somebody's dreaming their house is on fire. <laughs> I was thinking more like somebody's like dreaming their house is on fire and it starts burning down. Yeah. yeah. Like around them as they're sleeping. You just go or, three of the players are super dark and one of them is they're back in high school and all they're wearing is underwear. You could do that too. Yeah. And they're the one that's freaking out the most. This was during the phase when I was studying people like Jung and, you know, all those guys. 
Oh uh, yeah, the archetypes. All the archetypes. And so I was really fascinated by dreams and living out your nightmares as waking mm. terrors. That would be awful. These are getting real bad. Bad DM tips here uh, at the Dungeon Master's <laughs> block. Because my immediate thought was also be like, yeah, there's a snake in this cage. And then lift the sheet up and then there's nothing in the cage. <laughs> and then watching the player freak out. Uh, all right. Again, before we get to, before we get too dark, we are going to move on to Mitch. What is your number three? Mine one is called The Sun God Has Fallen. And so there's elements of this that I realize have been played out in fantasy lore before, and I've kind of smashed them together to make a cool story in my mind. The Sun God has been cursed by an evil deity and has fallen to Earth in the form of a mortal. Part of the curse that's bestowed upon him is that they no longer remember who they are. Until the sun god is returned to their former glory, the sun will no longer rise again on this world. This is the PC's quest for this campaign is to find the sun god and bring him back to his former glory so the world is no longer steeped in perpetual darkness. You can add some flavor to that with having some person who's come along and has claimed to have usurped the sun god's power Ooh. and has this cult that follows after him and he's making all these demands before he'll return the sun to its normality and so there's this large cult that's actively worshiping this guy i love it and and i love the idea of the people who follow him most readily are the races that have like sunlight sensitivity and they see this person as like mm. their savior like you are you allowed mm. us to in to come to the surface world where now we're, we feel comfortable. Like the Underdark is totally okay with now coming to the surface world because they don't have the sun to worry about anymore. Right. Well, and you can also like throw into all of this the stars are blotted out. You know, there's no light externally at all. It, it, you also add into that the fact that if it's constant night, uh, people are eventually going to go insane. Mm. So you could start using like the insanity mechanics and, and you know, uh, if your players don't hurry up and do what they're supposed to do to save the sun god and restore him back to power, they're slowly going to lose their minds. And I think that would be an interesting piece of and, – and I feel like I'm biting myself on the foot because this might be a campaign that we play <laughs> – going insane uh, over the course of the campaign. Uh, and then you also have to deal with, of course, like the weather elements uh, that could come with the sun we play games in a magical world, so those definitely get to be what you make them. But you could definitely have it be where everything is very cold because there is no sun. Yeah, and not to mention the sheer effect it would have on vegetation with crops just suddenly no longer getting nutrition and boom, that's it. That, I didn't even think about that. There's so many elements that you can just bring into that one simple change that messes the world up i mean no no precipitation no dew yeah nothing like that i mean you, yeah and there would probably be migration too yeah like mass migration happening because people are just abandoning their homes because it's like where are you gonna what are you gonna do if you're all gonna starve oh man uh I, I don't remember even who brought up the the i think it was ian i think you brought up the in the fact that people are just going to go insane but here, here it is. Here's the twist. Your PCs find the sun god, and they know that this is the sun god, and he has gone insane from the lack of sun. Who else would go insane from the lack of sun but 
a person who was a, a being who was created, like who created the sun, who's tied to the sun, like they go insane first. And now it's not only about bringing them back to their former glory, but they've gone insane. Yeah, it's now restoring his sanity. Yeah. Yes. Well, then, then you can throw in like a heavy escort quest too. Like you have to get him somewhere safely, mm-hmm. and if he's found out, that cult that worships this usurper will try to kill yes. the god. I also like putting him, putting the god back, even though they're still crazy. And it's like, what's going on <laughs> with the sun now? I thought it was setting, and then Solar it just like, flares yep, it's like it yeah. starts to set. Then it's like, not today, and then just starts going back the other way. Oh man! <laughs> New rule: We now have two Mondays. <laughs> oh, that would be that would be the true terror of that campaign. Oh gosh! Now there's five sons. We're all dead. <laughs> oh, he's crazy with a split personality, multiple sons. You know, guys, it's funny because he, Neil was like, "All right, well, let, let's continue on. This is getting dark." I didn't think that. Besides the fact that the sun was out, mine was that dark. But you guys certainly made it dark. So thank you. <laughs> we did it. All That's right. what we're here for. <laughs> My number three. And I love the name of it, and it involves dwarves, so it is pretty much all the things that I want. And I entitled it, Stalag Might Be a Problem. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> so there's a dwarven party member, and they receive a notice as part of their inheritance because you know, they had a relative pass away, and it's revealed to them that in their home, the stalactites and mites are actually creatures that are asleep and have been dormant for a really long time but because this person has passed away they are beginning to wake up maybe it's some it's a tradition that's been passed down through so many generations that the dwarves no longer know what these creatures were like so they don't know if they're going to wake up and be the best of friends or if they're going to wake up and try and kill everything so then it's on the player to convince you know, the party to go back. And then what does the party do? Do they try and reenact everything to make it stop? Or do they let it happen to see? So it's 100% up to the players on how they want to handle the situation. I like the, uh, the creature bit. I think it's pretty cool. Well, because you can also have like a variance on the size. I mean, it could be that yes. the, the smaller ones are waking up first or something like that. Or, I mean, just there's so so much you could do with what the creatures are because you know, it, doesn't need, <laughs> it doesn't need to be a bunch of pyramid things that all wake up and start running around. It could just be that there is something insti- inside of the stalagmites and stalactites. And then, you know, you get the big columns that join together and that's totally something else. Yeah, I like it. Cool. Andrew, what is your number two? My number two is called The Score. And the idea is it's a campaign. Eh, not not quite. Sneakers. Um, (laughs) So, this is essentially a game where all the players play as peasants who have a certain level of desperation in them. And there's like a key difference between like a normal person and an adventurer is an adventurer is willing to take all the risks. To, like, get the treasure and all that. So these peasants, these commoners, basically, they have certain problems in their lives. And they've come together because they just want to hit a dungeon and just get the treasure in the dungeon and then get out alive. And that's the whole thing. Except they're not strong. They're not capable. But they're just driven by this need for money. So they're willing to try and go in. So it's a game about 
more puzzle solving than it is combat because a level one monster could easily murder the entire party. Like a goblin would be unstoppable to them. And so it's the question of like, can these guys go in without having any adventuring experience and pull off the score of a lifetime and get out alive? I love this idea because to me, if you're playing commoners, the easiest dungeon, like you said, with the easiest of monsters is like Tomb of Horrors. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. To exactly. Me, this is like this is that would be such a fun game to play in. Sort of like your campaign now. <laughs> I just imagine it'd be wacky hijinks throughout. Like it would you'd have to mm-hmm. embrace the comedy of the fact that there are commoners dungeon diving dungeon crawling like and just go with it and allow them to find ways beyond smashing the enemies to bits to figure out their problems i mean if you think about like some of the simple stuff that doesn't affect a character but that would affect like us as people like a a six foot drop done incorrectly like you're done like your ankles rolled your leg is broken who knows? And just so many little things that can go so south. Like, oh no, the ladder fell over and now I'm like, I'm dead. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like small things like a player will like a look at it and be like, oh, you know, five foot drop. That's 1d6 damage. I can take it. <laughs> you know, and the peasants like I have one hit point. <laughs> I am not going to survive that fall. <laughs> Everything is an epic struggle. Oh, it's so good. But the reward would be so much fun of like, can we pull this off? Can we like do the job of a lifetime and get the treasure? Like, cause you think like one, one item, like, you know, how much gold does a commoner make in a year? Like one gold point piece. So it's like they get their hands on that plus one sword and they are set for life. <laughs> I have this fantastic idea coming out of this idea. You play this, you play this campaign or this one shot or whatever you have it be and you end with this triumphant, like, the the PCs are holding onto the treasure chest, and they're walking off into the sunset, and they jump up in the air, and they freeze frame, and it all goes black. Then you start a new campaign, you make it an evil campaign, and the opening scene is your evil characters coming across these peasants who have come across the treasure chest. (laughs) (laughs) And there's the start of the campaign. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or I, I was thinking you're gonna go with the mimic opens its mouth and eats them all alive. Like, yeah, great, great difference between a one shot and a campaign. <laughs> yes, Ian, what is your number two? My number two is something that I love because I it, it's based around the idea of gods, and I feel like we we talk about them quite a bit on the Dungeon Master's block for a good reason, because gods are very influential in the world of D&D. But I love the fact that, or I love the idea that gods in a given universe are not constant. They change, they shift, they're flawed. And I like the idea of putting a god on trial. So this one is called Trial of a God. And I love the the symmetry of that because the in this campaign hook gods the gods have realized that one of their own has had a major shift he's sort of tipped the balance in in an alignment sense in an energy sense and that the gods themselves are not equipped to judge or to punish this particular deity because they're not the ones suffering under the effects of whatever he has 
done physically to the world. Just to kind of throw it out there, the idea that I had when I did this was St. Cuthbert. He's in, in some instances, he's lawful good. In others, he's lawful neutral. Well, what if St. Cuthbert went from a lawful good to true neutral and he had that massive shift? What does that do for his clerics? What does that do for his paladins? What does that do for the balance of the world as it stands? And part of the campaign would be not only are the players set up as judges uh, for this particular god, but they're also sent out as investigators to find out why this god had such a massive shift. And at the end of the campaign, they get to pronounce the judge guilty or not guilty or guilty with this caveat or you know whatever and they get to sort of determine that god's fate it's interesting because would you also put it on the players to deal with let's say this deity no longer gets to be a deity then the players also have to decide then what happens with the portfolio that they were in charge of like where do these things go Hmm. that's fine that, that you've chosen that this person is no longer a deity but then who do you put you know, and that's a large variance on what that actually means for the world. But you mean, okay, then who's in charge of this? Since you decided that, then you can have all sorts of um, other deities, like lesser ones, trying to kind of muscle their oh, way yeah. in to influence the players, so they can kind of like try. They're trying to like steal the portfolio without stealing it. Or is it like you would expect these? lesser gods or stronger gods to come and be like, I'll take this over. Or is it like the gods surprise the PCs and they're like, no, we we don't, we don't want that. Like I have my job. (laughs) I, I don't, I don't need another job. Like you're expecting me to work 60 hours a week. I'm only getting paid for 40. Come on. (laughs) Well, the problem there is though, that portfolio theft is a huge deal. Cause like, it's not just simply another job. It's like power. Yeah. So it's how you get more followers and it's how you become That's stronger. True. So like a port, a piece of the portfolio is super important because if that guy snags law or justice, he has all the justice worshippers now just fueling him directly. So we can go from just being like a little trickster god to being like a serious The power. trickster god and who is like, all about chaos tricks the PCs <laughs> to giving him law. Yes. <laughs> And the world is broken. chaotic, neutral, and the world explodes. I mean, yeah, and you could also even have it where that now it's on the PCs to go find someone that is worthy of the title. And pretend like they won't nominate themselves immediately. Yep. And it is I. Oh, each PC takes part of the portfolio. Yeah, now you have a whole bunch of lesser deities. You know, that's actually how you can end a, like, end a campaign... With, like, the players, they finally hit that point where it's like, all right, this game is done and over with. So that can be their definitive ending, is that they actually ascend and become gods from this trial. And that's when you regret your one player naming his uh, character Schmoodly Poopin' or something like that. Because now you have a god named Schmoodly Poopin' in your world. (laughs) Cold damp or pop? Yes. The god of death. Schmoodly Poopin'. (laughs) Mitch, what is your number two? My number two is entitled Massacre of the Wood. In this, I have, this is an idea of, especially if you're doing like a sandboxy type game where your PCs go around from town to town, all different places, they can kind of go wherever they want. Uh, Your PCs can come across a small town set far away from the rest of civilization. It is a hunting town and they make money by sending fine furs away 
to the far off cities. You enter into this town and everything seems normal until the PCs find out that the animals living in the surrounding woods are sentient and able to speak. The townspeople have known about this all along, but have just simply ignored it, still hunting these poor creatures. And so now your PCs have to figure out, are they going to stand up for these these poor squirrels that know they're getting hunted, these badgers, these bears, like that aren't causing any problems, but are being just killed off in these woods. Well, the hardest question would be is like, well, how do they taste? First <laughs> off, <laughs> I don't like, I don't like my dinner talking back to me. That's the thing. You gotta, you gotta start it off by your players entering the inn and having like the best venison burger they've ever had. Well, maybe the reason that the meat tastes so good and the furs are so fine is because the creatures are sentient. Mm. And that lends a significant amount of quality to the goods. And, you know, the players are going there because they want uh, items or they want clothes or they, you know, want to establish trade routes with this city because of the quality. But then when they find out the horrible truth, now they're faced with this moral dilemma. Or you could uh, you could kind of take it a step further and make that the magical woods like a tyranny controlled by this one animal mm. that sends his dissenters as sacrifices to the village and the village doesn't ask questions. Ian, the idea of the, the things being better, I mean, and playing into the idea of sentience, it could be that with that sentience, the animals actually just take better care of themselves mm. because they think on this different level. So now, I mean, obviously it's, it seems baseline that seems okay but then like if i explain it too much i feel like it gets into this weird place because it's like guys we got very disney we gotta yeah. go do exercise and don't forget to brush your teeth <laughs> okay that puts it on me my number two is entitled welcome home and i really really like the idea as the start of a campaign but i'm not 100 percent sure how to make it a whole campaign but essentially you have your players you let them create whatever they will you give them the backstory that they have and then one piece, though, that you will have to kind of take as your own is that everyone in the world is returned to their birthplace instantly. And so your players could essentially be like these childhood friends that are now all of a sudden all back in the same town. And then you know, and they band together because they realize that everyone has kind of gone their separate ways, but everyone has taken up adventuring and now they're back together and they create this group that is now going to figure out what happened to the world that everyone was placed back into their birthplace. And then just going for going from there. Oh man. So the first thing that came to my mind when you said that is that every single jail and prison, everyone's mm. everyone's out. <laughs> I feel like right away this doesn't hit as like, oh, a really, really bad thing. But jails and prisons are emptied. Hospitals are emptied so that now you have like this person who needed to be in a hospital that's just like lying in in, in like in the street of his hometown. Man, there's a lot of chaos that ensues with this. Yeah. And like our leaders displaced or mm. yeah, and there's yeah, so, so, so much. And you think about the average person's life and how difficult travel would yeah. be is that most of them would not return home. They would probably just stay where they were mm. and that would kind of form new boundaries and country lines. Well, and you have a rich guy who's traveled to a different land and he gets pulled out of his mansion. That place is just going to get sacked once people figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a lot of living. That's a, that's a, a lot, lot of, of chaos. 
Well, and then it would be interesting to include the effect that you know, as as the PCs are trying to figure out what is exactly going on, there's something that's anchoring them to the town. So they can go on an adventure for a while, find pieces of the puzzle, and then, you know, based on a, a random roll or something, they've got X number of days before they're rooted back in their hometown. So they're... How about just every time they go to sleep? Yeah, when, when they, they wake, wake up, up, they're back I home. I was thinking that same thing. That's a great thing, yeah. For everyone. It's crazy. The other interesting thing would be you know, and this is all dependent on the activity within your world, but what if, you know, in this great civil war had happened and you have entire like nation that had been displaced and now they're constantly like going back to their like homeland you know, and entire like groups of people being displaced back to where they air quote came from. And you could have these characters who are called sleepless champions and they're Ooh. like iron willed people who can stay awake as long as they can. And like, they are hired to do things because like an average person couldn't stay awake long enough, but a sleepless champion continues to keep moving, but they're also semi delirious because of how much sleep they've lost. They've got caffeine. They've got stim packs. They've got cocaine or, you know, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. If this is based off of sleep, does that mean the elves are completely unaffected by this? Like, do they even, does it even happen to them or are they completely a race that has been unaffected by this in that world? Maybe, maybe they're not affected. Maybe they're not affected. And all of the blame is immediately put on them because of how suspicious. Oh, Neil, this is such a great idea, but they could also, I mean, in theory though, they could also be more dis, you know, I mean, giving them the not sleeping, but they could be more displaced than almost anybody else. If they've been alive for a thousand years, where are they going to go back to? There we go. It's time. Yeah, it is time. Um, we're not going to do a drum roll because we did one every time for a Patreon member. So <laughs> we'll just jump right into it. Andrew, what is your number one? My number one, I cannot take credit for, for hearing, uh, for no learning or doing it, whatever, figuring it out. Yes, I can't take credit for figuring it out. Uh, some of my, one of my followers on Twitter was talking about it, and it just stuck with me <laughs> so hard. And I love it to death. So it's, it's uh, a trial by giants. Basically, there's this race of giants that they're needing to solve, like, a murder trial. And their custom and rules forbid them from handling it internally. So they ask the players to investigate, represent the defendant and whatnot, and handle all the legal stuff in this trial. Because their customs require an outsider, a neutral party, to do it. And this solves a huge problem with trial cases in a game. Because, you know, if you're going to be running a trial game, uh, you know, where you have a legal court case, it's most likely the players who are on trial for having done something terrible or being accused of doing something terrible. So that creates that pressure of like, well, we don't actually want to be here. So there's, you know, that struggle of like, oh, you know, then you have DM Fiat with the judge. With this, it frees the players up to completely just be invested into the murder mystery to figure it out to actually have these courtroom scenes and there's no stake in them other than them fulfilling their duty as like it's like this honor so you have these players who they can be 100 percent invested without that pressure of feeling like the gm is just taking them for a ride or there's nowhere to go or if they do it wrong somehow they can end up executed as per the usual for most players like so much intimidation would happen though, because it's giants and it's players, like trying to like l- literally push their weight around when everything is happening. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you can just have the straight up from beginning to end, you know, courtroom mystery type thing, like you know your basic Matlock or Perry Mason or something like that, and just have like the players get to do all of those roles without you know any fear of of you know DM Fiat taking over. Murder, she wrote. <laughs> what giant edition? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right, Ian, what is your number one? So I, for my first ever number one, I had to make it legendary, and I entitled it Legends Never Die. And so my idea is every single one of us, DMs, players, we all have characters that we have absolutely loved to play. Characters that we have fallen in love with, characters that had a good resolution, but man, would we like to go and play them one more time. And so my my idea with this campaign is that each of my players would get to select one of their most favorite characters. And sort of like in a scene from Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, the gods pull them out of their respective eras to fight one last battle, to fight one last time together. And so you can bring people from disparate, you know, like let's say players had one character from three campaigns ago. The other one was like 10 campaigns ago. The one was like this last campaign. All of them can join together in a new way, refreshing those characters, going on a quest for the gods, sort of out of time, and maybe on a different plane or something of that nature where they get to play those legends again. Would you build a whole campaign based on that? I would do a whole campaign based on that idea. Yep. And it'd be cool because then the people also get to remake them potentially in a different edition at a different level and all kinds of fun stuff. But yeah, definitely evening it out and letting people play the character that they probably always talk about anyways. So why not give them a chance to create new and fun stories with, the, like you said, the player they already want to play. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the character at level one who's like, yeah, I slayed three green dragons. You're like, no, you didn't. But then, you know, you've got <laughs> these legends who are like level 12, level 13, you know, whatever. Hey, I slayed a green dragon. Yeah, okay. I believe that. <laughs> It'd be sweet to be able to, especially if you have players who have played with you for years and have been exposed to those those PCs to be like, oh, it's going to be sweet to watch this character interact with this character from a whole different time or world. But like us as players, we're both familiar with these characters. And especially if you get to into a whole group that's been playing together, it's just like, oh man, it's going to be sweet to watch these characters who we all remember because we've played in the same group for so long. We're going to get to see all these characters mashed up and see how they interact with each other and just make a whole new adventure with these lovable PCs. Well, then you don't have to do so much back work. You don't have to do so much like character creation. And and some of those, like I've gone back and I've played other characters that I've played before for like one shots or whatever. And it's really easy to step into their skin because you know the ins and outs of that character. They're super easy to role play with. You don't have to get to know them. And I think like there are some that I would absolutely love to play again for sure. It's DC's Legends of Tomorrow, only this time it can be good. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zing. All right, I'm going to get lots of hate on Twitter for that one. Whatever. CW didn't renew it for a reason. <laughs> the next one up. Mitch, what is your number one? Oh, I'm excited for this one. This one's called Sally's Town. 
the PCs, yeah, I know, but here we go. The PCs come across a small village with an iron gate surrounding the entire village. When they open the gate and step inside, they revert to their six-year-old selves. The gate slam behind them, and they can no longer open it. The town is full of children, and children only. The leader of this town is a six-year-old girl named Sally, who is an all-powerful sorcerer and has transformed everybody in this town into six-year-olds, never to age, never to leave, always to be her playmates. Oh, no. See, then you run the danger of the players just being like, finally! And then they're just like, all right, we're done. We're not trying to escape. I've been this waiting for this my whole life. Long. Eternal youth! <laughs> Oh, yeah. Nap time is back. <laughs> See, then you run into like a it's how do you even solve that problem? Because at the end of the day, you're still attacking a six year old girl and there's no way you're going to feel good Ooh, about that. But you're not. But and neither are you a six year old man. Or, well, and that's you know, the question is, is <laughs> Sally a six year old girl? Or has she just kept herself that for a long time? Because I've run into other six-year-old girls that aren't six-year-old <laughs> girls. They're demons or they're, you know, they're there you sorcerers go. or, you know, whatever. But even if it is a six-year-old girl, I think that is the moral quandary here that your players are going to have to struggle with is like, how do we get out of this? We can't. We can't just slay the bad. If you made it very clear early on that she just was a yeah. six-year-old girl, it would make it a lot more mm-hmm. fun because then you have that they have to figure out how to convince her to turn people back. And she's like not malicious. It just makes total sense to yes, her. exactly. Like, this is what she You're should do. You're trying to reason with a and so all-powerful six-year-old. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> and possibly super dark. <laughs> yeah, the things you would have to do. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I wonder, and the question when th- that kind of thing happens, all, to me always is, what do you do mechanically to make it that they are six-year-olds? Hmm. I mean, because the, go- the go-to would be that the physical stats are adjusted, oh, yes. but obviously that hampers one set of characters where it would not necessarily hamper another. So I would want to have an overall reduction, ooh, redo the point-by system with just like a much lower point-by. Or you could just give them new character sheets where they have certain skills like playtime or <laughs> uh, finger <laughs> finger painting. I am proficient in playtime. <laughs> I like, but that's kind of a cool idea. But that's is like if they, that's like persuasion. Yeah, like that's yeah. kind of a great idea to kind of make different skills that would work for like a six year old and would impress and work on other six year olds. And I like the idea of even dropping the like the intelligence and wisdom to that of like a six year olds. Like your characters can still have their memory, but they can't do math so good anymore. The thing is, is that if if they're fully transformed, their brain is also going to revert back to that state. So even though they might have their memories, a lot of functions at that age are just starting to emerge. So they're not as fully functional as a human adult would be. Yeah, like you said, I mean, their their cognition is not that great. But then if they retain all their memories, think about some of the... I mean, we, we talk about killing a goblin, and we're like, yeah, because I'm an adventurer. That's what I do. But now you're a six-year-old, and you have that memory of killing a goblin or killing you know, another person or you know, whatever. You've got those now in your brain as a six-year-old, and you have to now handle that. 
with a six-year-old's reason. Hmm. And to lighten the mood, on your character sheet would be Kraft Macaroni. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, maybe that would be cathartic for some heroes. <laughs> uh, and then they have to prove to you that they can make it out of macaroni? <laughs> Perfect. All right. Here we go. I will close this out, and I will make Mitch mad with my number one. Oh, gosh. To boldly go where oh, no adventurer yes. has gone before. Well, that's the podcast for this week. We all did. <laughs> so essentially to make your PCs be the first group of people that go into space and centering it around a campaign. Essentially, they're having to create whatever... And I would want it to be a spaceship rather than like getting the spell components to teleport to the moon. I'd want it to be a physical craft that they have to help figure out, run while it's going, and maybe they go to the moon. The other thing that I thought would be cool about a long-term campaign would be getting it all together, going to the moon, whatever they do on the moon, coming back and dealing with the repercussions of people not trusting them because they left. And what does that mean? How are they viewed? And everything like that, because you could have definitely both perspectives of it is awesome that you've essentially taken our world to a place that they've never gone before. And the other people that are like, you went to the moon. We don't want you here. Please go back to the moon. What did you bring back with you? <laughs> or, you know, you've also got what what could they have done to the moon that would have screwed up its orbit or, you know, oh. whatever else? Because you introduce like magic into the equation. Or, you know, whatever else. You could split a moon in half, and Ooh. now your tides are all messed up. You could have some fun with this by uh, putting the players on an unwitting journey into space by having them go into some kind of tower where there's all sorts of artifacts and they're trying <laughs> to solve this puzzle. But really, it's actually this <laughs> gnomish craft that's been worked on for, like, centuries that was abandoned. I like And that they one. just end up <laughs> firing that sucker up, and they're like, all right, you start moving Further, further up, and now you're in space. That's perfect, because when they reach the top of that tower and there is a lever up there, you better believe after 20 floors that one of the PCs is going to is gonna pull that lever. <laughs> and it's going to be hashtag magic mark. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you have Korg the Barbarian. Oh, what bring it back. Uh-oh. Korg, or no, that was Trope. Trope. You have Trope the Barbarian. Or Troop? Trope or Troop? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Torp. It's Torp. If Torp the Barbarian pull the lever and off you go into space. (laughs) Well, then, you know, what does space look like in your universe? Is there air? Is there not? Is, you know, are they going to open the airlock and all get sucked out? Like, I mean, you've got all these kind of like new dangers to deal with. Oh, man. As with every single one of the top tens, now I have 17 new campaign ideas I want to do. So. That I'll never get to. Yep. And with that, we are also going to shoot off into space. And if you wanted to reach us, we will make sure that we have service. Where could people get a hold of us, Andrew? You can communicate to us via electronic mail by sending an email to dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you did please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you do so, we will read your message on one of our podcasts. If you want to connect with us via the two major social media networks, i.e. Twitter and Facebook, you can get at us there. Our Twitter handle for the DMs block is at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block. You can also like our page on Facebook, both 
uh, both places will give you updates on episodes that have dropped as well as general D&D goodness. Uh, you can also find some polls and memes and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, it is also a good way to get in touch with all of the hosts here on the DNB. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Andrew Lee. Andrew Lee. Andrew Lee. Andrew Lee. Andrew Lee. Andrew Thank you, Andrew Leach, for your fantastic support of us on Patreon. Andrew is none other than a bronze dragon. We hope that you enjoy those bonus pots we've got for you on there. But seriously, Andrew, thank you so much. And as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out all of our other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. But with that, we're, like I said, shooting off into space here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing those characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. We'll see you all next week. Good night and good luck. See y'all later. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye.